Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our e-commerce podcast and I'm today, uh, today I'm here with Jennifer Edmonds and she's one of the co-founder of RX Candles. She's from the US, Los Angeles and uh, I'm happy to have you here. How are you? Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm doing good. So this is a very busy period for her and for her business. So I, I really appreciate that you could join us today. And um, let's start with your background story. So I know this is a family business. And uh, when did you start this company? Did you start it alone? And later your family members, they joined. I think your sister is one of the co-founders, if I remember well. Mm, but when did you start and how did you start this company? That's correct. We started um, around 2013. My sister, Jocelyn, is the co-founder. She made candles for gifts one year just for fun. Our mom um, is super crafty when we were younger. She worked at Michael's and Aaron Brothers and a lot of different craft places. So she would leave us with the babysitters or we'd come to work with her and do crafts a lot. Um, So we've always just been very DIY type of family for fun. Mm-hmm. And my sister, she made the candles uh, for a gift for one Christmas because she worked at the Arts Institute and she had a lot of co-workers. So she did the candles as sort of a way to give everyone something nice, but um, also be able to do 20, 30 gifts. Um, and they were just a huge hit. Everybody really loved them at her office. So they kept asking for them and she would continue to make them. But eventually it just became very expensive to keep giving them for free. So she started charging just the cost and people just really loved them. So eventually uh, she started a Kickstarter to try and raise funds so that she could get some inventory and start selling them properly. But midway through, she got sick with E. coli and her Kickstarter got funded. So she had to bring me in to help her actually fulfill all the orders. And she said, hey, you know, do you want to help me make these candles and um, you can be my business partner? And I also had a corporate job. So it was a really nice way to um, get some creativity in my life and have like a little side Mm -hmm. hobby. But I'm just very competitive. So as soon as she said, uh, come on in, do, you know, do this with me. I'm like, oh, we're funded. We're good. So I just got us into a a full time like Sunday market, which we're still there today at Melrose. Um, So it was one of our very first pop ups and we just hit the ground running. But it was very bootstrap. Like we, we didn't start with a lot. And every week we would just continue to like try and grow. We, we didn't like rent a place out or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think there is a book titled uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And that's <laughs> the thing that came to my mind when you told us the story of your sister, because as you said, initially, she just uh, she was very DIY. And then after a while, she had to charge for it because of the demand. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah. And then, as you said, you had your job and you added as almost as a hobby and it became your main thing after a while, right? Yes. Um, So about three years in of just doing Sunday pop ups, um, working full time, I worked about 40 to 50 hours a week already. Then we would um, come. I had a storage unit that we were secretly making all the candles out of to save money. 
And um, I would come home from work and we would make the candles in the storage unit. On Sundays, we would just be like clipping the wicks at the market, mm. like still preparing them because we didn't have a lot of time. Um, but uh, yeah, so eventually it just became too much. I was working 70 hours a week. Um, candles started becoming full time. My sister ended up quitting and going full time a year and a half before me. And one Christmas season, she said, enough's enough you gotta quit your job and I was like no way like I can't do that and she's just like you have to take a leap of faith we're gonna do good you know you can't keep yeah. working 70 hours so um eventually I did quit and we picked up more markets and it was it was a slow grind you know it wasn't easy but um after my mom saw the success we were having and her being so crafty as well she started um doing pop-ups as well. And she mm -hmm. uh, became part of our brand, which now she's um, got her own um, sister company, but she does all the same recipes as us. And um, so my mm -hmm. mom, dad, and brother are also a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and how many years or how much time did it take to transition, you know, from the hobby to full-time, both for you and your sister? <clears throat> I would say for my sister, it was about, three years um but uh we would just do sundays so the only markets and pop-ups we had were all on sundays and all mm -hmm. week we would prepare after work for them um but then for me it was about four and a half years mm -hmm. um when people when our customers kept asking for more products we kept adding more products to our line outside of the candles and then they kept saying hey i don't want to wait till sunday can you do a website and we're like we don't know how to do that. So once we had the website going and more pop-ups and like actual customer base, it was um, just time to go full-time. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's good if we clarify what is a pop-up. Maybe not everyone knows that. Mm. So our pop-ups are usually either like a farmer's market. So we will literally bring an entire store out um, in the middle of the city, usually they're around Los Angeles or around California, but we do travel across the US to do them as well. Uh, so we will bring a 10 by 10 tent, a lot of tables and just build up a, a movable store for the day and customers can come shop with us there. Mm -hmm. um, so usually they're farmers markets, but now in California, the weather is usually pretty good. So we have a lot of craft fairs and they bring local vendors. A lot of them are uh, two, 300 vendors at a time on a Sunday. Yeah, so you have a very strong uh, physical presence. I mean, offline presence, not just online. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. you know, most e-commerce businesses. And you focus in California, right? Or, or other states as well in the US? Oh, we do focus in California, but a few of our pop-ups are um, traveling. So during certain seasons, a couple of the big ones will do California, Texas, um, uh, Seattle, or Chicago. Um, but it's very difficult to get to with, you know, a traveling store to bring it all around the U.S. and too expensive to ship. So sometimes we'll have to drive it ourselves. So yeah, that can be difficult, but... Is it more, uh, it, does it generate more sales for you than e-commerce at the moment? Well, originally it was our sole source of income, but now we're about, uh, I would say half in person and then a quarter e-commerce, a quarter uh, wholesale. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so we're, we're even diversifying, evening out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, let's talk about e-commerce more. So what uh, website platform do you use? I assume Shopify. We do, we do use Shopify. When we were just starting out, we did more of a free-based one like Wix. But then once we started adding more products, I'm sure everyone um, knows uh, Shopify is really great for small businesses. They have excellent support. And it's just more functional when you have a lot of different types of SKUs. Yeah, yeah. Recently, I got familiar with Wix Commerce, and I can only agree. I still haven't <laughs> found a better one than Shopify. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, how do you get your customers to to the e-commerce website? Um, you know, I think a, a lot of them are our customers from being in person. But over the years, it's just been word of mouth. So when someone gets a gift, they will find us because our website's on all of the products. But we also, during COVID, had a really good luck with, um, we got in the LA Times because we were literally one of the only companies in the U.S. that had hand sanitizer in stock. So we got a lot of new customers through that. (laughs) Like uh, during COVID, the beginning of COVID. mm -hmm. I I said to the whole team, hey, I think we're going to have to uh, shut down. You know, I don't think anyone's going to be ordering. I don't know if it's safe for us to be in the warehouse. But then all of a sudden, one day we were, I was just like, is this, our website and it was just like blowing up we had thousands of orders overnight and it was pretty insane hmm. very interesting yeah, so, so so we found, we got a lot of luck off of um like a news article basically ah uh, you got yeah. into the la times and then people could see it and that's how they found and was yeah. it uh, was it a pr effort or was it just completely you know they just discovered discovered you somehow it was just very organic since we were the only, I think they only featured five companies that had hand sanitizer. So everyone mm. was just frantic about it. And we had been carrying hand sanitizer um, with our fragrances for five years or so. Okay. Um, so we just had a lot of inventory of it. It was just, um, it was just very lucky for us that we were able to provide them for people like in a time of need. But um, so that we got a lot of hits off of, and I think we have some lasting customers from there. Uh, but we get our customers from word of mouth, um, a little bit on Instagram. Um, we do some Google ads, but my sister and I do do everything ourselves and we're not experts in those areas. So mm-hmm. um, we do rely heavily on our current customers and word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. so you have a strong overlap with the, with the, offline customers from the pop-ups and then many of them they find you later on uh, on the website if they don't have mm-hmm. time on Sunday as you said before yeah, uh, yeah. but now you have more pop-ups I know so yeah, yeah and uh, you set some google ads and instagram and uh, are you planning to implement more paid ads or you know any other I don't know influencer marketing any other online acquisition Channels. Yeah. Um, well, now that Shopify recently just released the Shopify collabs, um, I opened up our store to that. Uh, and we're getting a lot of interest from uh, Instagrammers um, trying to work with us. So uh, that seems like a really great affiliate marketing for us. 
Um, in the past, we've, again, just been word of mouth. We'll get contacted on Instagram by some pretty good Instagrammers just saying, you know, I found your product. I actually really love it. I'd love to work with you. So up until now, we've really been doing organic growth. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to do some more ads. But now and now that we I think that we have a little bit more analytics on our Shopify that we can see how to spend any kind of money because we don't have a marketing budget. Uh, so I just have to sort of see where these leads are coming from and try and go after it. But the Instagram or, or you know, uh, social media collabs are really nice because a lot of them will work with us just for free gifts because they're already familiar with their products and they feel confident that their followers will like it. Um, so that's really lucky because we, we don't have the budget to be paying people to advertise for us. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, if I remember correctly, you also mentioned you were Amazon before. So I'm, I'm wondering uh, what was your approach there? We got on Amazon pretty early. Uh, it was when they very, very first launched their handmade section and they reached out to us to apply. Mm -hmm. And so we did get on there. We had a lot of luck. Um, it was going good, but it's just it's just unsustainable. It's so expensive. We you know, they take probably 90% of the sales and, and then not being in control of your customers and, and returns and things like that um, was just really difficult. So once we were able to grow our Shopify website, we stopped doing Amazon. We were just trying to um, grow as much as we could and, and convert some people from Amazon to our website. Yeah, um, but we yeah. did do Amazon for a few years and it was pretty early on uh, when people, when Amazon was, it's always been popular, but it wasn't, you know, what it is today where there's so many more people on there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, have you thought about Etsy or any other platforms? I know Etsy we, is quite popular, smaller businesses. Yeah, we did. We, we also dabbled with Etsy. Um, in in the early days of our business uh, and we did have some also success there but now uh just with it being just my sister and i we we really try to hone in on our own website um and kind of get the the best bang for our buck there since you know etsy yeah. and the other and amazon and everyone else is taking a commission so just trying to drive as much traffic as we can to our our own website and and that's been kind of our our a business structure from the beginning. We don't have a lot of third parties involved. So we are able to keep our prices at what we would usually actually charge for wholesale is what we are offering our customers. Mm -hmm. um, of course, now that we do offer wholesale, there is a little bit more of a gap uh, there because we have to raise the prices so that our wholesale accounts uh, are willing to carry us. But um yeah, so we just try and stay away from Amazon and other third parties right now that are taking too much of a commission so that we can keep our prices as low as possible. Yeah, and it sounds like you don't uh, plan, you, you don't want to, you know, deal with retailers either, right? Physical retailers who could sell your product. You could be the wholesaler there. Is it, mm -hmm. is it something you consider or, or you don't want to well, do it? Um, actually we are, we did, I did grow our wholesale business about double in the last year through mm -hmm. fair. So that is one third party. Um, I am working with currently for wholesale, um, because, 
again, organically, um, companies just kept reaching out to us to, to do wholesale and fair is a nice, um, third party that makes it really easy for us where I didn't have the time to negotiate with a wholesale customer, do their resale license, invoice them, figure out the shipping. So fair does make it very, very easy for them to just order online. I get the order just like I would in Shopify with any other customer. Um, so, so we do, um, offer wholesale. We just got onto Piba, which is kind of, they're advertising themselves as the fair for, um, Asia. So we are shipping out now to like Singapore and China and a bunch of other countries through Piba, but we are doing our wholesale, um, more strictly through these, uh, third-party platforms mm -hmm. right now. Okay. Makes sense. So tricky question from my side how to sell candles because you know um there are so many i also have them here at <laughs> my home and i really like them um there are good ones bad ones i think the flavor how it smells it's really important it's the most yeah important. and how long it lasts at least mm -hmm. for me but yes how your product is different because for me it sounds like a very crowded market why? It is. It why is. people buy from you? Mm -hmm. um, again, it all happened very organically. Uh, and in the marketplace, when we first started, there wasn't a lot of neutral candles. So we really, people were just sort of getting into home decor in my demographic, I think, mm -hmm. when we hit the um, pop-up scene. So a lot of the candles that were available were purple or you know had like weird niches to them where they have like glitter a bunch of like maybe it smells like you know something specific but we were one of the first that came out with a very neutral candle it, it just matched everyone's decoration and really concentrated on the the fragrances uh, and I guess what I like to compare it to is chicken you know you can get chicken at any restaurant like all the restaurants have chicken, yeah. but you're going to yeah. have a restaurant or a few that you like their chicken. They do the recipe differently. So um, we have, I think, just really good ingredients. We stick to the basics. We don't add anything unnecessary. It's just plain 100% soy wax. We use cosmetic grade essential and fragrance oils. Um, so they just smell very pure. They're not uh, artificial and, and you get what you pay for with our oils. They're very expensive. We could get very, uh, much cheaper oils, but, um, that's what makes them smell so incredible. And I think, um, if I can say so, I just have a pretty good palette. I can, I've always been able to have a dinner and kind of see like, Oh, I, I know what the ingredients are in here if I'm in a restaurant. Um, okay. so if I smell something, I can, sort of recreate it to what I want it to smell like, or just keeping it neutral. A lot of, um, you know, I think candle brands do what they like. And I try to, our whole collection is, is very neutral. When someone's, when someone comes up to our booth, we have all the candles lined up and sometimes there's 10 to 20 of them and they'll smell one kind of apprehensive. Like you don't want to get the offensive candle that you don't like. And you're kind of like, Oh, it ruins you. They'll, pick one up and they're like, Ooh, and then they'll go down the entire line. So every single one of our fragrances in the collection is meant to be very neutral. Um, 
like something you would smell in a hotel. So something that not any one person is going to say, Ooh, I don't, I don't like that. You know, they're not, they're not like punchy. They're just very sophisticated, very neutral. Um, So I think that's sort of um, the take that we have on our collection versus other companies. But again, at the end of the day, it's just that they work really good. People, will find well, pe- all, people will email me and say, Hey, I was at somebody's house and I just couldn't get over how good their house smelled. And it was coming from a single candle in the bathroom. So I took a picture, I found you guys, how can I buy these? And that's happened a lot. So just having a product that kind of speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. How many fragrances do you have? You, you focus on a few or you have a very wide range of fragrances? Um, we have a pretty big collection. We have 16 that we rotate at any given time. Um, but we have hundreds. So, um, we stick to the 16 and sort of rotate the ones that we think are the best of the best. And then we'll have, um, seasonal fragrances. So, um, something like a Bora Bora, uh, is very summery. So we'll, we'll swap that one out for a pine in the winter. Um, but we do have hundreds of variations of, of the 16 fragrances we have. And sometimes I'll use the same ingredients of the 16 and sort of just make a new one that's heavier on the coconut for one season or heavier on mm-hmm. the wood notes for the, the winter seasons. Yeah. Yeah, but at any given time, there's 16 fragrances on our website in every product. I think that's a good enough, you know, like yeah. <laughs> a good enough collection to choose from. So mm-hmm. you, want. you don't want to be overwhelmed. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. I have one more question to you today. So what would be your number one tip to those people who want to, let's say they are still in a corporate job, they have a nine to five job and uh, they want to start out with their um, business, family business, let's say family e-commerce business. And uh, they they need to take the leap of faith, let's say. Yes. Um, you know, I think it would come down to funding. If you have the funding to go ahead and you know, and you're confident in your product and you have everything worked out already, then it's just a matter of the leap of faith. But I do have a lot of acquaintances where they might have just an idea and they had the funding and they're sort of, you know, piecing it together. And next thing you know, the funding's gone. So I think for us, um, it's hard and it's a long way to do it. But the longer you can bootstrap your business and figure things out with the customers, having that interaction of what they like and what they don't like, I think will save you a lot of money. Um, it takes longer, but it also helps bring build your brand and um, uh, just stick to what people actually want. We're lucky since we have the pop-ups, I get the interaction face-to-face. I can see immediately if someone picks up a fragrance and a lot of people aren't liking that fragrance, that one's gone, you know? Um, but we could tell right away what people like because they're telling us uh, that's how we built our brand. Someone said, you know, I, I want more than the candle. I want a perfume. I want a diffuser. Every single product we have is because a customer asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having that face-to-face and, and waiting it out to know what the real demand is, I think um, for family businesses is very important because 
a lot of times you don't have that funding. You don't have um, all the money to just do 16 fragrances off the bat. You know, we've, we've added one um, along the way based on what people are asking for. And um, also knowing that what works for some companies might not work for you guys. So you have to really take the time to find uh, where you fit in the market. Yeah. And uh, going back to funding. So I guess Kickstarter is a good idea for many businesses, right? It also worked out for you. Yeah, it's great. Um, crowdfunding is awesome because you get that the hype. Um, you kind of get on into eyes that you wouldn't usually, um, especially now with Instagram and, and all of, I mean, Kickstarter is more competitive now too than when we started, but it's anything to get the extra eyes on you. Um, and I think that also forces the brand to think about how they're going to sell themselves instead of just coming out with 16 products and being like, you know, people are going to buy this. Um, doing it through Kickstarter, you have to do the video, you have to, you know, have interesting things for people to watch it. So it's definitely uh, a cool way to launch your business and just get the eyes on it. Yeah. And it's almost like a kind of a business plan in itself, because you're having to market from the star, um, take great pictures of your product. So it's definitely a good way to uh, dip your toes into what you're going to get yourself into, because if you're filming it and, and you're like, this isn't a very interesting product, <laughs> then you kind of know already people aren't going to be interested. Yeah, nowadays Kickstarter is very demanding. I talked to a few companies who are on that platform. The other big mm -hmm. one is Indiegogo and it's really mm -hmm. demanding. Like you have to create almost like a long, long landing page with videos, images, explaining the product. And uh, if you're, if your product is complicated, then it's difficult to explain. If it's too simple, then it's another challenge. So yeah, it's yeah. not that easy for sure. But I yeah, think, when, uh, when we did it, they let us do it with our iPhone and a voiceover and you're just showing a product. So yeah, now they yeah. want a very professional commercial really. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, thank you, Jennifer, for sharing your story. And uh, thank you the story of your company today and thanks everyone who watched the live stream today or will listen to the podcast in the future stay tuned everyone because every week we come out with two new episodes with exciting stories and e-commerce business owner stories and thanks again everyone and have a great day thank you so much